Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, today's a good day. Yeah? It is a good day. As long as... uh, as long as this isn't your first time here today, you've likely heard me say that before. Um, I've been saying that for a couple of years now, and as I've thought about words that, are, that people are remembered by, I hope that I will always be remembered by that phrase, today is a good day. And not to be too morose about it, but I hope that one day at my funeral, someone gets up and says, today is a good day. And now that might come across as a little strange to say at a funeral, and I guess if you really didn't like the person, you could also say today is a really good day. Uh, But uh, I'm hoping that as people say that at my funeral, that they're saying it in the right way. Today is a good day because God is still on His throne. God is good. He loves us very much. He has a plan for our lives, and He is large and in charge. Even when everything else is falling down around us, when the world feels like it's on fire, today is a good day because God is good, because He loves us very much, because He has a good plan for our lives, and because He is in charge. So today is a good day. So someone please, wherever my funeral is, if I pass before you guys, someone please get up and say, today is a good day. You know, it's interesting to look at the the words that people are remembered by. From Marie Antoinette's Let Them Eat Cake, spoken during the famine of the French Revolution, to Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, spoken during the defining moments of the civil rights movement, there are literally thousands of quotes we could remember from famous and important people that define who they are, what they stood for, and what they've lived for during, during very important, pivotal moments in our history. And even as we look at Scripture, we actually, if we take note, there are many times in Scripture that we see people's famous last words. We often quote some of Jesus's famous last words on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. That's a huge thing. As he was being crucified, he said that of the people that were crucifying him. As he ascended into heaven, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Famous last words that launched a, a mission. Another one of those pivotal and memorable famous last words of Scripture is found in the book of Second Timothy. And you may not have known that these words were famous last words, but here they are. It's this sentence out of Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Now, this is a powerful sentence, right? You've probably quoted it to somebody else before when they were a little bit shaking in their boots. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. You've probably said that to yourself many times. I know I've quoted it to myself many, many mornings. But the one thing that makes this sentence even more powerful is that these are some of the very last words recorded from the Apostle Paul. In fact, 2 Timothy is the very last book that we have in the Bible that is the words penned by the Apostle Paul. Imagine giving a speech at the end of your life, possibly your farewell speech. What would you say? 
If you knew these were the last things that were ever going to be recorded of you, what would you say? Well, here we have that speech. It's called the letter to 2 Timothy. It is literally Paul's famous last words. Paul writes from prison, likely his final imprisonment before going to be beheaded by the emperor Nero. This last letter of Paul's was written, as you would expect from the title, to his protege, Timothy. Now, at first glance, this, book's re- this book reads very similar to 1 Timothy, which Pastor Amy preached on last week. However, when you take a deeper look into this book, you'll notice that the tone of 2 Timothy is quite different from the tone of 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, as we learned last week, Paul encourages Timothy to stay in Ephesus. Paul reminds him to the, of his identity, of who he is in Christ, his calling to the gospel, and and reminds him to stand firm against the false teachings that are happening all around him. Second Timothy has some of the very same aspects in it. Identity, calling, stand firm. But in Second Timothy, it looks like Paul is concerned not just that Timothy would stand strong in what he's doing, but Paul, I think, is concerned that Timothy may not be standing very strong in what he's doing. Instead of telling Timothy to stay in Ephesus like he does in 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to come see him as quickly as possible. And I think you'll see why as we go through the rest of the letter. One of the things you notice right away as you read 2 Timothy is the number of people who have left and abandoned Paul. Now, in some of Paul's other letters, he talks about people that he's disappointed in or people that have left him. He mentions maybe one or two names. But here in 2 Timothy, Paul names several people. It's actually quite a theme going through 2 Timothy of Paul talking about so many people that have abandoned him and left him behind to the point where as he's facing the trials of this final imprisonment, he's facing them alone. For example, in 2 Timothy 1.15, here's what Paul says. He says, You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. Let me just read that one more time. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now, Paul is probably exaggerating a little bit here, but you can hear his heart. Everybody in the whole province of Asia is a big place. I don't know if you know that. It's a large area. But here Paul is saying, everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. Now, likely not all of the people of Asia have deserted Paul, but you get his point. Paul goes on through the book of 2 Timothy to list many, many people that have deserted him. Why would everyone desert Paul? Paul's around 60 years old when he's writing this letter. Now, 60 is not very old today, but back then, amen, there we go. But back then, I know I'm 44 now, right? So 60 is looking younger and younger every single day. But 60 back then was actually quite advanced in age, and Paul's lived a tough life. If you know anything about Paul, you know he's gone through some hardships, and he's probably carrying with him some of those difficulties. And so he's, he's in rough shape, likely, at this point. He's definitely at the end of his life. We know that from church history. Uh, he's in jail again, likely his second or third time being in jail. We don't know exactly how many times Paul was in jail, but this is potentially three times that he's been in jail so far. This is a perfect combination for a moment when someone, who, Paul in particular in this case, 
But being in the situation that Paul's in, this is the perfect moment to have friends gather around you, to have people encouraging you, sending you text messages or Facebook messages or something saying, hey, Paul, stiff upper lip, buddy. You can do this. We're with you. But Paul finds himself utterly deserted. Nobody standing at his side. Why? Paul doesn't give a, a clear answer why for us in the text, but he does give us lots of hints. And it seems that the reason that Paul was abandoned is because he was suffering for the gospel. Let me kind of explain this for you. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.8, Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul, later on in that same chapter, he commends the household of Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus. And he commends him because, in, in, he says this, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So not everyone has deserted Paul. There are still some that are standing strong. In fact, later on we, we learned that Luke was also standing strong with Paul. But Paul is feeling very abandoned at this moment. But Onesiphorus is one of those that has stood next to Paul somehow through this, not being ashamed of his chains. It looks like Paul was contending with people, though that were ashamed of his chains. That's why he's bringing it up so much. Don't be ashamed of my chains. I commend Onesiphorus for not being ashamed of my chains. It seems like the people that are deserting him are deserting him because of his chains. And perhaps these ones who are deserting him are also the ones that Paul is thinking about in chapter 3. Here's what he says in chapter 3, describing some of the, the people who are kind of leaving behind the gospel that he has been preaching all of his life. These people in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 to 5, are lovers of themselves, lovers of money. They're boastful, proud, without love, unforgiving. They're conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now contrast that to, to how Paul describes himself and the calling he calls Timothy to. Here's what he says just a couple of verses later. He says, you, this is speaking to Timothy, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, and he goes on. The people who deserted Paul are, are likely the ones who are rejecting this way of living. They're rejecting especially the persecutions rejecting the sufferings, rejecting the uncomfortableness that Paul is talking about. But for Paul, following Christ goes hand in hand with persecution. It goes hand in hand with suffering. Look at what, what Paul says, just the next verse. He says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul has discovered in his life that following Jesus involves risk and persecution, and some are not willing to live that kind of life. It seems evident that those who are deserting Paul are doing so because they are rejecting persecution. They're rejecting persecution. They want life to be easy, full of good times, health, wealth, and happiness. But Paul is in chains for the gospel, and everyone has deserted him because of it. As I studied 2 Timothy this week, I got the sense that Paul is asking Timothy, what about you, Timothy? 
Are you going to desert me too? This reminds me of the time that Jesus was preaching and had a mega church amount of people following him, a huge number of people following him. Do, do you know this story? People followed Jesus because he had miraculously, miraculously fed them loaves and fishes and healed all their diseases. Do you remember this? He heals all their diseases. He, he portions out a young boy's lunch and he feeds over 5,000 people, likely close to 10,000 people. It says it's 5,000 men and then there were women and children as well. It was at this moment, as he had this huge gathering of people, as they were, they were flocking to Jesus, it's at this moment that Jesus gives them a very hard sermon. He preaches a very difficult teaching to them. Do you remember what Jesus taught on? Jesus said, eat my body and drink my blood. Eat my body and drink my blood. It sounds like a crazy thing to say, doesn't it? It really does, and it sounds a little bit gross. It really does, okay? Who would want to follow Jesus after he says something like this? But Jesus was saying that these things, the fish and the loaves that have filled your belly, you eat these things and you're going to be hungry again. You'll be hungry again. If you use your life to gain stuff that fills your belly, you will still be hungry in the end because all that stuff, it doesn't last. But if you focus your life on Jesus, if you focus your life on Jesus, figuratively, figuratively, filling your belly with Jesus, if you're satisfied in this world with Jesus, then you will be full for all of eternity. That's what he's saying to him. You've got to have me. You've been following me for the fish and the loaves, but they will never fully satisfy. You need to have me. But this crowd hears this hard teaching and they all leave. All 5,000 plus the women and children, they all leave because having your belly filled with food is a lot easier than sacrificing for Jesus. And it's at this moment in John chapter 6 that Jesus turns to those who remain. It says that he turns to his, the 12. So out of the possibly 10,000 people that are following Jesus, it seems like there's only the 12 left. So he turns to the 12 and he says this, In John chapter 6, verse 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? You do not want to leave too, do you? As I looked at this letter, this second letter to Timothy, I got the sense that Paul is asking Timothy the very same question. Everyone has deserted me, Timothy. They've all left. Do you want to go too? You see, this suffering and self-sacrifice thing is super hard especially so today. It's hard. You know, and I know that our time is not that much different than it was 2,000 years ago, actually. You know, today we talk about how people love convenience and ease. We have a microwave world where we want everything fast and quick and easy. Well, they wanted that like that back then, too. We have different technology today to give us things more quickly, but we are very similar to how they wanted things back then. They wanted quick and easy and simple. We want that today, too. But Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. If this doesn't describe right now, I don't know what it describes. 
Like we seem to turn our ears to things that just fit our own little idea of, of happy, easy, and soft. To many people, it doesn't matter, and to me included. Like, just so you don't think that I'm talking about all of them out there. I love to read stuff that just makes me feel good, that makes my life easy. I love soft, simple. I love to sit on the couch and just do nothing. I love it. It's not good, but I love it. And to many people, including myself, it doesn't matter that Jesus said that he would have troubles in this world. It doesn't matter that the author of Hebrews calls us to fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him did what? Endured the cross. It doesn't matter that those who want to save their life will eventually lose it, but those who lose their life for Jesus' sake will eventually find it. Those things don't seem to matter anymore to many people. We want what feels good and what our itching ears want to hear. But this road, it ultimately leads to death. Now, don't get me wrong in this. Because this could be like, everything sucks and is terrible, and it's, you know, that's just how our life is supposed to be, and that should make us not happy, because that'd be bad. We should just be sad. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. Do we experience health and wealth and happiness as we follow Jesus? Of course we do. Of course we do. Jesus is our provider. We pray. We pray for visas and passports to come in the mail, don't we? We pray for financial provision for ourselves. We pray for people to get who are sick to be healthy. We, we, we know that God gives those things. He's our provider. He's a good leader. He's our healer. Our Heavenly Father is a good Father who gives good gifts to His children. God has plans for us, not to harm us, but to prosper us, to give us a hope and a future. We know that. Those things are absolutely true. But those things are not the focus of our journey with Jesus. They're not the focus. We don't follow Jesus because of the loaves and the fishes. We don't follow him because of that. Our journey with Jesus includes finding him in the hard places. It includes the suffering. Paul's discovery and the discovery of those who have come after Paul for the last 2,000 years is that following Jesus involves risk and persecution trials and suffering, difficulty and hardships, the presence of which are not a sign of Jesus's absence. Just because you're going through something difficult does not mean that Jesus has forgotten you. In fact, it's right there in our dark and most difficult times that Jesus's love and faithfulness become even more tangible and real. I love to experience Jesus in the light and easy stuff. And I thank Jesus every day for meeting me in those spaces where it's easy and it's simple and it's light. But I do not disregard when I get to walk through the hard stuff because it's often in the hard stuff that I get to experience his presence ever so much more. See, to disregard our trials and suffering and to disregard meeting Jesus in the difficult spaces is really to disregard Christ. This doesn't mean that we seek out suffering, that we wish it on other people or wish it on ourselves. We don't self-harm in order to reach some kind of enlightenment. But what Paul is contending for here is that we do not turn away or run away when suffering comes. And that's exactly what Paul has seen so many times in his life. 
The moment that going gets tough, the people scatter. Timothy, are you going to be one of those people too? Are you going to cut and run now that things are getting hard? Tough times are coming for Timothy. Be ready, Timothy, and press in because it's about to hit the fan. This is not just a letter where Paul hands over the baton to Timothy at the end of his life. It is that. Yes, of course it is that. Paul knows that his time is short and he wants someone to follow him and to to carry on the mission that he's been carrying on. But this is mostly a letter to, to call Timothy back from what Paul sees as a very dangerous thing happening in Timothy's life. He sees some of the signs of Timothy beginning to falter and he's calling Timothy back. Don't turn away like the others. Don't give in to the easy, comfortable, and ultimately dead way of living. Press in to finding Jesus in the middle of the hard stuff. And this is where I think that the theme of 2 Timothy comes to play. We quote quote this this theme verse often, but perhaps now you're going to see it in a little bit of a different light. Paul is pleading with Timothy to not be one of those who cuts and runs at the first sign of persecution. And so Paul says to Timothy in the very beginning of his letter, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Don't cut and run at the first sign of danger, because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That word fear, some versions use the word timidity, but it could also be translated cowardice. I love how the Amplified Version puts all that together. So look at how the Amplified Version reads. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craven and cringing and fawning fear. But he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. When the tough stuff comes, when the trials and tribulations come, God has not given you a spirit of craven and cringing and fawning fear. Isn't that a good way to put it? He's not given that to you. He's not given that to you. It's not yours to carry. God has given you instead of that a spirit of power and of love and of a calm and well-balanced mind. Even Jesus said in John 16, that in this world you will have trouble. But he didn't say that to say it's okay for you to cut and run. He said in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Why? Because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. You see here, folks, Paul's point in 2 Timothy is to battle against those who would preach an easy, comfortable gospel devoid of the power of Jesus Christ showing up in the middle of our suffering. The power that comes when men and women of God actually face down Satan and the powers of hell. Not running from the slightest sense of uncomfortableness. Not getting out of here when when the getting's good. But being willing to face the enemy head on. See, the gates of hell will not prevail against the Christ-filled, gritty church that's willing to face hell straight on. But sadly, the gates of hell are prevailing against the willy-nilly, comfortable, easy-peasy church that doesn't know anything of suffering. The, The secret is just this. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craven and cringing and fawning fear, but he has given us a spirit of power 
and of love, and of a calm and well-balanced mind and, a, and discipline and self-control. See, God has placed his spirit in you. He's placed his spirit in you. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is in you. And, and this needs to be said. It's the same spirit that gave Jesus the ability, the courage to face the cross. It's the same spirit he relied on when he faced the cross. And that same spirit is in you. Brothers and sisters, we are not called to an easy as pie bobs your uncle faith. Our faith was hard fought for. Jesus Christ went to hell and back. Our faith was forged in the fires of persecution and our faith has prevailed. If we're going to be the church of Jesus Christ, we must be prepared to face suffering and find Jesus right in the middle of it. Running away is not an option. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Those are the final words of the Apostle Paul, a fitting verse to encapsulate his life. He never turned away from the difficulty that was in front of him. And as Paul's life comes to an end, his question to Timothy is, are you with me? Are you willing to face suffering and persecution as you've seen me face it? It's what Jesus asked the disciples. Are you going to turn away now too? Inherent in that question is, are you willing to go the distance? And it's what Jesus asks us today. Are you with Jesus? Are you ready to find Jesus in the hard and the difficult places? I like finding Jesus in the easy places. I really do. But so much more often I find Jesus at work in the difficulties and the hard places. I'll close with this story. I remember when my daughter Katrina was going through open heart surgery. If she hears me talk about this today, I owe her an ice cream, so we'll see what happens, okay? But it was nine years ago. Some of you may not have been around for that. But if you remember, our daughter Katrina, she was, she was uh, the doctors saw her in the womb uh, as they did ultrasounds, and they knew that she had a heart defect. They were concerned that she wouldn't even be able to, to, to live. She did live. Um, and at two years old, the doctor said that it's time to have open-heart surgery. And can you imagine having open-heart surgery, what that would look like? If I went through it, it would be terrible. But I, as my daughter went through it, it was a hard time. It was a difficult space. I remember praying often for God to just miraculously heal her. God, would you just heal her? And God does. He does heal all the time. He's a good God who heals all the time. This time, it didn't happen the way that I wanted it to happen. So she went through the surgery, and ahead of the surgery, the doctor said, well, it's probably a small fix. You know, you have four chambers in your heart. The two top chambers are open to each other. They don't have a, a there's not a clear um, change between the two top chambers. It's just one big chamber. Um, so we'll have to go in there and fix that. When they went into surgery afterwards, they came back to us and said it was way worse than we even imagined. Way worse than we imagined. We fixed it. It's fixed. Nine years ago, and praise God, she's doing fantastic right now. But they said it's way worse than we thought it was. It was a difficult time for us, and it was hard to hear that. But six months before her surgery, I was in a church in Cambodia. Me and my family had gone to YWAM. We did our time in Hawaii for YWAM, and we went to Cambodia for two months. And I, I, once they found out I was the pastor, I was preaching every Sunday. So I preached in a Cambodian church, and I remember telling the story of Katrina. 
And we knew at that point that the two top chambers of her heart were not fully formed, and it was kind of one big chamber. And I remember sharing the story, and I said, you know what, I, I've, I got a picture. As, as I was preparing for the sermon, I got a picture in my mind. God gave me a vision, and here's the vision he gave me. I saw Katrina's heart, and I was standing there in her heart, and I was watching Jesus stand there in this space between the two top chambers, standing there, stopping the blood from mixing. If you don't know about hearts, the one side of the chamber just circulates to the lungs and back, and the other side circulates to the body and back. And if that top chamber doesn't work properly, you die. And I had this picture of Jesus standing in that gap between those two chambers and, and just standing there, stopping the blood from mixing and allowing Katrina to live. Now, if God had just could healed Katrina miraculously, and I never knew about it, I don't know if I'd ever have gotten that picture. But I found Jesus standing in my, my daughter's heart in one of the most difficult times of my entire life watching my child suffer and suffering with her. I saw Jesus show up. And I wonder if we miss Jesus because we try to blast through the difficult stuff so much and we ask Jesus to take all the difficult stuff away from us all the time and we don't want to. We see difficulty and we cut and run. And we miss seeing Jesus standing in the heart of a two-year-old girl. We miss seeing Jesus show up at our bedside when we're weeping into the night. We miss Jesus showing up at the side of the grave. We miss Jesus showing up when we don't know how we're going to pay our mortgage that month. If we're not allowing ourselves to step into the difficulty and the suffering, if we're not allowing ourselves to put ourselves out there in the mission to go to a foreign land when we've never known that before, if we don't put ourselves out there, we're missing seeing Jesus in the middle of the suffering and the difficulty. Don't do that. Don't do that. Be willing to step into it all. Rachie, did we get any questions? We've got two questions. Fantastic. You guys are doing a good job asking some really good questions focused on these books. It's good. And on these, the, these sermons. So that's fantastic. So what do we got? All right. I'll read it, Amy, and you're gonna, you get to answer the first one. So okay, hopefully the second I... one's like super easy. Because I like easy, right? So I'm yeah. looking for an easy question. Does so, feel like you start off and say, okay, Amy, you go first. Right? Every time. What's a well-balanced mind? I know. Well, I read the question first. And I think, is it a hard one? And I yeah, throw it to you. Decide so. then. What's a well-balanced mind that Paul... What is the well-balanced mind that Paul is talking about? Mm. Hey, what does that mean? Yeah. Oh, goodness. This is like just... You got to make it up on the spot. I know. Right? I do. Man, I think a well-balanced mind is, is one that is taking all things into consideration mm -hmm. in the appropriate levels. So it's, right, being like I talked about last week, Jesus-centered. That part of it is, is our mind is centered around, centered around Jesus. But I think it also means that, that we're just not oblivious to everything else. Right? That we're aware of this topic. We're aware of this emotion. We're aware of um, potential things in the future. We're aware of what has happened in the past. We're in, we're in the present. Mm -hmm. I think what it means is, is nothing is 
skewed out of proportion to a level that it doesn't warrant that. It's good. That's my it's good. off the top of my head answer. The, the verse that comes to mind there, it's, it's not a, a mind that's tossed to and fro. Exactly. Right? By the winds or by the mm -hmm. waves, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. well-balanced, right? It's yeah. the well-balanced like on a, on a ship when you have the cargo. Or I think of the BC ferries, right? Mm. When you get on the BC ferries, all the, they unload and load appropriately so that the ship is not tossed and, yeah. and turned. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. Awesome. I think that's a great answer to that question. That's good. Do you want to read us our second one there? Okay. How can I avoid falling into an echo chamber? How do I learn about different ideas without getting overwhelmed? And so an echo chamber, just in case people are unaware of what that is, is the idea um, that we, we end up in circles, we end up in spending our time with everyone who is saying the same thing as us. So it's just an echo chamber. I'm saying the same thing, Greg's saying the same thing, Farrell's saying the same thing that basically all we're doing is repeating the same things over and over again until we hear nothing different. It's just all the same. Yeah. It's, it's focus, it, the question comes from this verse of people in the, at some point, which I think is at all points, people will, will look for, to surround themselves with teachers who will just tell them what their it, itching ears want to hear. Yeah. Just confirmation right? bias, I think, right? Confirmation that, bias yeah. is part of it as well. A confirmation bias is when, so if you go onto Google and you're like, I want to know something, right? I, I think that something is, like, so vaccines, we'll throw a crazy one out there right okay. away, right? So if I'm like, vaccines are terrible, you should not get a vaccine. I'm going to go on Google and I'm going to see a thousand searches that tell me, yes, Vaccines are terrible. And I go, there it is. I've just proven my point. But I've disregarded the thousands of, of spaces that might say, actually, vaccines are really good. And did you know if we didn't have a polio vaccine, we'd all be dead already? You know, this kind of stuff, right? So it's that confirmation bias that if once I find something that tells me that what I'm already thinking is right, I'm good. Okay, then I must be right. We surround ourselves on Facebook, social media, all kinds of stuff with Google. Did you know that if you went on a Google and typed in the very same search that I typed in, we would get very different results? Not because you're a bad person and I'm a good person, or I'm a bad person and you're a good person, but just because there's, a, there's an artificial intelligence on Google that will share with me what I want to hear. That's what it does. It looks at all my search history and it knows what I want to hear, and it tells me what I want to hear. It is the epitome of confirmation bias. So how do you stop surrounding yourself with an echo chamber? Get off social media. <laughs> Seriously. Except our Facebook group, which is a great place <laughs> to get connected and find community. Except for the confirmation bias you're going to find at our Facebook page. Exactly. Okay? That's the good type. That's the good type. Here's the deal. Don't just assume because you have read something on the internet that it's true, okay? And especially when you're reading stuff that's just opinion-based, all right? And you should be talking to people that are not like you. Yeah. A great way of doing that would to be get into a small group here at church, okay? People that are going to be focused in the same direction with you but might challenge you. I'm going to let you into a fun thing. My friend Brian, who's sitting over here, is very different from me. When he and I talk, man, I leave many of those conversations one of two ways. Very frustrated or seeing things from a very different point of view. 
It's fantastic. I love him. He's an amazing man. But he, he, we look at things very differently. And he helps to challenge me to think more deeply about the stuff I'm thinking of. Find somebody who challenges you to think differently from the way that you see things. Don't be alone. Get into a small group. We're trying to launch small groups in September um, really well. Uh, and when we do that, make sure you're in a small group. Because if you're just by yourself or it's just you and your spouse or you and your family at home, that's fantastic. It's not great. Okay? So see about getting involved with a small group and doing that. Is there, there was a second part yeah, to that question. Yeah, how do I learn about different ideas without being overwhelmed? Yeah, I think community, community and small group is actually a good way of doing it. Oh, yeah. And, and I think also... Um, you know, this is just my personal, how I go about it, is instead of looking at like 50, you know, 50 different ideas around thing at once and then trying to assimilate all of them and find out where I land, is like take one or two at a time and then think about it. Okay, does this line up? Is this, okay, yeah, this part I like, this I disagree with, this doesn't fit into, you know, my, my personal ethics, whatever. And then go for another one. If you, if you, if me, if I end up watching videos or reading articles for four hours on a topic, I'm going to be overwhelmed. Our brain can't yeah. actually process the information that well. So it's like little bites, right? Little bites. Then have a conversation, right? Be like, I read these two articles that are debating whatever. I don't know where I land. What do you think? It's, we avoid being overwhelmed by processing the information well. And so that means taking time, talking about it, as opposed to just constantly consuming it. Yeah. I, I remember, um, I think it was Pastor Tom, who was our pastor a bunch of years ago, uh, preaching a sermon, and I, I think it was him that did this. And he said, there are some things in life that you need to hold firm to, and some things in life that you need to hold loosely. There are things like Jesus Christ is our Savior, right? He's the only way to salvation, some of these type of things. Those things I hold tightly to. And then there's a bunch of stuff, actually, that's just based on opinion and what really is kind of, you know, my own desires or whatever. We hold those things loosely. So come into conversation with people, help people to challenge you in some of these things um, so that we're not getting too stuck on these. If I spend four hours on the internet searching something, I begin to do this, and I begin to hold tightly things that I'm meant to hold loosely. Or I might begin to hold loosely things that I meant to hold tightly. So it's wisdom in trying to figure out what the two things are and how they're different. We have one so. more question. Oh, okay. It says, in what, in what ways are we, the members of Beaver Lodge Alliance Church, persecuted? Oh, man. Yeah, that's a great question. Way less than we think we are, probably. Um, I, I think that I think that what's common in our world right now is to think of every little bitty thing as persecution. That somebody, I went to work one day and I shared my faith in Christ and they won't eat lunch with me anymore. I'm being persecuted. Probably not. Okay, that's not what persecution is. Um, as well, I think that we actually live in a society right now that honors uh, our ability to, uh, to follow Christ to learn of Jesus and those type of things. So wearing masks to church is not a form of persecution, okay? Um, having some of our numbers limited, uh, like our, our numbers in this building limited is not a form of persecution. So we'll just say that out there right there. Um, I think actually our society and our government um, honors our 
desire to follow Jesus. Now, I'm sort of holding that a little bit loosely because you might have a different opinion. If you want to talk to me later about it, you can certainly come talk to me. But I don't see those things as persecution. Um, but I think that we probably in our world, in the Western world, we don't experience much persecution. We experience trials and difficulties and there's sufferings that happen. But I don't think there's a lot of persecution that happens here. When I look at some of my brothers and sisters around the world who are being killed for their faith, people who are in underground churches because if they were like actual underground churches, um, they're, they're there because routinely uh, they would be arrested and martyred for their faith. Um, that's, that's persecution. And if you don't understand that, that might be a good thing to begin to look into a little bit more. Do you have anything? I, I, I know I'm kind of coming out one-sided in answering yeah, this question off the um, top of my and, head. And but... maybe, maybe I'm taking the word pro, uh, persecuted way like too wide. Mm. But I think, uh, like you said, you know, maybe not uh, systemically persecuted, but I think it can happen more in relational things. So, you know, like you said, the person who doesn't want to eat lunch with you, no. But I think people have had encounters where relationally they are getting targeted, they're getting reported for things, you know, with whatever, you know, teacher body or nurse body or or whatever, where there is... um, really pointed attacks that Mm. the enemy is using people to go after people because of their faith. That isn't, you know, governmental, but more between people. More of a relational persecution type thing. Yeah. 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 Does that make sense? I could see that. Yep. Yep. That's good. So I would say in, in some ways, you know, people in our body have experienced that. Yeah. 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 I think that's good. Okay. I think, that's, I think that's good. Fantastic yep. questions, you guys. Really well done. Keep gripping with this. Even as, as you saw Pastor Naomi and I kind of talk about this last piece on persecution, right? I said my bit. Amy said, well, what about this? And yeah, it actually makes sense that we would have some relational persecution. Talk to people. Help to understand. Help to work this out. Help to figure this out. Those of you at home, talk to people. Figure this out. Why don't you guys stand? And I'm going to read the benediction Paul gives at the end of 2 Timothy. It's, uh, again, Paul gives wonderful, beautifully flowery benedictions often. He doesn't in 2 Timothy. It's just very brief. But here's what Paul says as a benediction. He just says, The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So Jesus, just as we gather and as we scatter as the church, as we step into this world... And as we go about what you've called us to do, uh, Lord, we recognize that there, it is hard sometimes. It is hard. It is hard to live out the kingdom. It's hard to, to honor you, Jesus, in all that we say and do. It's hard to step into difficult things. And so we need your Holy Spirit. We need your Holy Spirit. We cannot do this in our own strength. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Fill your people afresh right now. Fill me, fill us fresh with your presence. Give us the courage and the ability, the strength and the wisdom to be able to step out and to be able to press back the gates of hell, to be able to, to, to walk forward in the fullness of the kingdom, to be able to speak your hope, to speak your love, to speak your peace over our nations. God, fill us afresh now as we go out from here to bring honor and glory and praise to your name, that we would be able to speak the name of Jesus Christ well. 
So we love you, Jesus. We love you, Heavenly Father. We love you, Holy Spirit. We thank you and we praise you. And we pray these things in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. You're dismissed. Thank you for joining us. If you have questions or comments or are just wanting to know more about our church, check out our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com as well as you can find us on Facebook or feel free to email us at office at beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray that today you would know the love and manifest presence of Jesus.